भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भागवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भागवते वासुदेवाय नारायणम नमस्कृत नरम चरोतम देवी सरस्वती व्यास तथो जाएं उदीर We're reading from the Shrimad Bhagavatam, Canto number three, text thirty, description of adverse fruitive activities, text three. The translation is: the misguided materialist does not know that his very body is impermanent, and that the attractions of home, land, and wealth, which are in relationship to that body, are also temporary out of ignorance only he thinks that everything is permanent please repeat the misguided materialist, the misguided materialist. does not know that this that his very body, his very body. it is is impermanent is and that the attractions of home land and wealth, land and wealth which are in relationship to that body Are also, are also temporary. Out of ignorance only, of ignorance only. he thinks that everything, is permanent. he thinks that everything is permanent. The translation, again, I'll read it. The misguided materialist does not know that his very body is impermanent and that the attractions of home, land, and wealth, which are in relationship to that body, are also temporary. Out of ignorance only, he thinks that everything is permanent. And what did you hear? Yes, Prabhu? That the uh, materialist is unaware of the... Tech support? I just turned it on. Turn it off. Turn it off and on again. Okay. So the, the materialist is unaware of the ephemeral nature of his material existence, uh, his own self, and also the things related to his body, and that he... That's a fairly good paraphrase. Thank you. Somebody else want to add to it? Yes, Shamya Pras. Okay. Anyone else want to paraphrase or say anything that you heard from the verse? What did you hear? Yeah, nice observation. Anyone else? Okay, here are the word for words. Yet, because, adruvasya, temporary. Dhruva means something that's fixed, and adruvasya means it's not fixed at all. Dehasya, of the body. 
Yad Adruvasya Dehasya. Means? Because of the temporary nature of the body. Next word is Sanubandasya. Sanubandasya. With that which is related. Durmati. A misguided person. Yad adruvasya dehasya sanubhandasya durmati. Next word is dhruvani. Permanent. Manyate. Thinks. Mohat. Because of ignorance. Dhruvani manyate mohad. What does that line mean? Somebody bargained off that microphone. It's no longer available. Yeah. Thinks all the body and everything in relationship to the body is, is going to be permanent. It'll be around forever. Okay, and the last line is Griha Shetra Vasunicha. So Griha means home. Shetra means land. Vasuni, wealth. So these three things he's thinking are permanent. Griha, Shetra, Vasuni, Cha. Cha means and. So what are the three things? Home, land, and wealth. Okay. Yad adruvasidehasya sanubhandasya durmati dhruvani manyate mohad grihashetra vasunicha Yadadruvasidehatsya Sanubhandasya Durmati Dhruvani Manyate Mohan Brihashetra Vasunicha Yadadruvasidehatsya Sambandasya Durmati Dhruvani manyate mohar Rihashetra vasunicha Translation is The misguided materialist does not know that his very body is impermanent and that the attractions of home, land and wealth which are in relationship to that body are also temporary. Out of ignorance only he thinks that everything is permanent. Srila Prabhupada's purport the materialist thinks that persons engaged in Krishna consciousness are crazy fellows, wasting time by chanting Hare Krishna. But actually he does not know that he himself is in the darkest region of craziness because of accepting his body as permanent. And in relation to his body, he accepts his home, his country, 
his society, and all other paraphernalia as permanent. This materialistic acceptance of the permanency of home, land, etc. is called the illusion of maya. This is clearly mentioned here. Mohad griha shetra vasuni. Out of illusion only does the materialist accept his home, his land, and his money as permanent. Out of this illusion, the family life, national life, and economic development, which are very important factors in modern civilization, have grown. <clears throat> A Krishna conscious person knows that this economic development of human society is but temporary illusion. In another part of Srimad Bhagavatam, the acceptance of the body as oneself, the acceptance of others as kinsmen in relationship to this body, and the acceptance of the land of one's birth as worshipable are declared to be the products of an animal civilization. When, however, one is enlightened in Krishna consciousness, he can use these for the service of the Lord. That is a very suitable proposition. Everything has a relationship with Krishna when all economic development and material advancement are utilized to advance the cause of Krishna consciousness. A new phase of progressive life arises. I offer my respectful obeisances to His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, and to all of you because you are Vaishnavas and therefore are the most worshipable in the three worlds. Hare Krishna. Well, this is a, almost an algebraic verse telling about the juxtaposition of people's understanding compared to the reality of the world. There's a similar verse in the Bhagavad Gita in the second chapter in which Krishna, in which Krishna says, Yanisha sarva bhutanam tasyam jagrati samyami tasyam jagrati bhutani sa sanisha pashito mune. And that is that there's this dichotomy in the world. Some people who are in illusion think that the devotees are wasting their time. And the devotees look at the materialists and think they're wasting their time. So the, the verse says that the materialists are asleep to the spiritual world and the spiritual practice, and the devotees are asleep to the material world. They have no more interest in it. And I was thinking about this verse one day after I had been walking to Mangalartik in Los Angeles on a Sunday morning, and there were some revelers coming back from a Saturday night just around the time I was walking to the temple, which was about 4 a.m. And I could hear the, the bass from the car coming up the street. And when they saw me walking down the street with Dodi and Tilak at 4 a.m., just having jumped out of a cold shower, they looked out, all of them slowed down and looked out the window at me and thought, what the heck are you doing here at this time in the morning? And I was looking back at them thinking, what are you doing here at this time of the morning? And we sort of passed each other, uh, passed one another, going different directions. And that, that verse was enacted in that second about how the two worlds and the two worldviews are 
at odds with one another. And uh, at Kurukshetra, when Krishna went to celebrate uh, with, actually to meet the devotees, and especially to meet the devotees from Vrindavan, but it was a solar eclipse, and everyone came there to do some special pujas during that time, and those who were in the know came there to see Krishna. And there was a confluence of many of Krishna's devotees from many different places, including Vrindavan. Because the devotees in Vrindavan hadn't seen Krishna for many, many years, and they heard he would be going there. So they all came there in their wagons, and uh, they wanted to see Krishna. And there's a very powerful scene there where Krishna meets the great sages. The sages are, it's a, it was a who's who of sages that are listed in the Bhagavatam that came there, Kurukshetra. And uh, Krishna spoke to them. And the prominent verse mentioned in the instructions he gave to the sages is, uh, Prabhupada alludes to in this purport. In this verse, Krishna is saying to the sages that people generally become attached to their homeland and they think that it's worshipable. And they, um, most people think that this body, which is made of three material elements is, is their, themselves. And they also go to places of pilgrimage and they worship there um, without contacting holy people. They just go there, take a bath, and then they leave. They think they're done. So Krishna says that these kinds of people, Saeva Gokara, they have the mentality of a cow or an ass. And the other day, a cow lover, and who isn't, asked me uh, why Krishna would use the cow as an example of somebody who's considered to be uh, condemned in their understanding of the world, because cows are sacred. And uh, Prabhupada explains this elsewhere when he says that <clears throat> sometimes a cow gives birth to a stillborn calf. The calf is already dead, but it comes out of the womb. And uh, the milkman, wanting to get milk from the cow, takes the dead calf and puts it aside. And then at time for milking, he brings it over and presents it to the cow. And the cow can't tell the difference. It begins to lick the dead calf and give plenty of milk. And so <laughs> this is compared to those who consider the body to be a live thing and therefore work very hard to support the body and to serve the body and so forth. Because you can't tell the difference between that which is living and dead. And uh, amazingly, when Krishna presents this verse, which someone might say is a very a fundamental understanding, the way that Krishna starts the Bhagavad Gita is explaining that we are not our bodies. But the sages said it was unfathomable wisdom that he was giving and were astounded at uh, the, the words of, of Krishna who stood before them and 
uttered this verse. So for those who are advancing on the spiritual path, the revelation that I'm not my body is quite profound. And the more that one advance, advances, the more one realizes that I'm not my body and the more profound it becomes. It's not that that becomes an elemental feature of the philosophy of Krishna consciousness so much so that one ignores it later on. On the contrary, one becomes more fascinated by the phenomena that somehow or other I'm in this body and somehow or other there's a nexus through the false ego which makes me think I am this body. Devahuti said it's very difficult to get out of this as she was lamenting to her son Kapiladev and saying I've been in this situation seemingly since the time immemorial and I have a relationship with the mind and the body and therefore it seems as if I am my body. Anyone? Anyone? And therefore she said how is it even possible for the soul who's so identified with the body to come out of this bodily conception of life? And Kapiladev answered that it's possible if one hears for a long time and also engages in service to the Lord. So by the process of bhakti yoga, Kapiladev also says, the subtle body becomes uh, dissolved. The, the material subtle body, also sometimes called the psychological body, which is inextricably attached to the material conception of life, is dissolved by the process of bhakti yoga. Just the way food is dissolved in the stomach or digested when it's put into the stomach, there's stomach acids and then it's dissolved and then it's distributed to the various parts of the body. So similarly, by the process of bhakti, one can gradually become relieved of the misconception that I am the body and the, the misidentification with the mind which causes so much uh, trouble. So this uh, hearing about the temporality of the material world and the body and then acting in such a way that one can remedy the situation means that one is progressing in spiritual life or rather is the process to advance in spiritual life. Simultaneously hearing about the spiritual world, that is the activities of Krishna with his devotees and becoming attracted to the variety of the spiritual world uh, gives the, the minds a, a refuge. Normally, the mind takes refuge in material sense gratification. But the devotee learns to transfer his or her attention to the topics of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And this is, according to the Bhagavatam, the only way that one can be free from the influence of the bodily conception of life. Yet pada, yet pada, yet, yet, Say it again. Yet para pankaja palasa vilasya bhakta karmashrayam gratitam udgratayanti santa tadvanna rikta matayo yatayo pirudha shotoganas tam aranam bhajavasudevam. This verse in the fourth canto mentions that the devotees have a distinctive advantage because they become attracted to the, the beautiful uh, effulgent toes on the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. 
And the Acharyas point out that those toes go many places, in Vrindavan, in Mathura, in Dwarka. And the, the devotees' minds are always following the lotus feet, the lotus toes of the Lord in his various pastimes. What to speak of Vamandev, who kicks a hole in the universe with his toe, and so forth. They become uh, absorbed and attracted by the, the Leela of, of the Lord. And because of that, tadvan, uh, because of that, karma shrayam gratitam, there's a, a, a knot in the heart that's very hard to undo. Uh, because it's been there since the time immemorial, the chitta, or the consciousness of the living being, becomes filled up with various ideas for sense gratification in the material world. All kinds of images and impressions are there. So much so that the, the chitta becomes uh, darkened. It's like a dark mass. And it, as also compared to this tight knot, and that binds one to the material world. I think I am my body, I belong to this world, and so forth. But karmashrayam gratitamudratayanti santa, by the process of meditating on the beautiful pastimes of the Lord and his lotus feet, his forms, his names, then that knot can be cut. That knot is cut. However, he said, tan karmashrayam santa. Tadvanda rikta matayo, those who are without this conception of the Lord, mean, rikta matayo means their minds are empty. They're um, trying to become desireless, they're trying to become nothing, and they don't have that conception of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Empty headed they are. Tad rikta matayo, yatayopi rudha shrotoganas tam aranam bhajavasadevam. They get washed away by the waves of sense gratification, which will, will come for anyone who's in the bodily conception of life. They'll be dragged away. So the process of hearing about how I'm not this body and the material world is temporary is something that Krishna recommends that we do regularly. And he said you should hear it from different angles. Shruti pratyakshamaityam anamanum tatushrayam tatushrayam praneshu avanasthanad vikalpatsa virajite In the 11th Canto Srimad Bhagavatam, Krishna recommends that, he, that you observe from various sources how this world is temporary and therefore you should become a little detached from it. So shruti means by hearing. Just like we took a little dose right now by hearing uh, from the Bhagavatam about how temporary the material world is. Pratyaksha means see for yourself that uh, the, the body is, is temporary. It can be vanquished at any second. Um, Aitya means uh, traditional wisdom that's passed down. You hear it from others through the grapevine. And um, shruti pratyaksham aitya, and also uh, you can reason about it, that the death rate here in Denver is still 100%. It was in 1973, and it's still 100% now. And the emergency room at the Colfax Hospital is still full of gunshot wound victims every Saturday and Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> 
things, the beat goes on here in the material world and it, it's not going to change or get any better. So if, if one hears that and understands the material world's temporary, then one should develop a sense of detachment from the world. And uh, Prabhupada uh, tells a story about a hairy sage. One of the first stories I ever heard when I joined the Krishna Conscious Movement. He used to live without any shelter. And there were, he had many followers because he was a wise sage. And he lived without any shelter or any clothing. And when his followers came to him and said, we want to build you something, a little hut so you can do your bhajan here, or at least give you some clothes. And he said, ah, I don't need it. I'm not here very long. But it was well known that the sage was to live for, for one lifetime of Brahma for every hair he had in, had in his body. And he was a very hairy sage. But f for, from his perspective, ah, I'm not here very long. And the, the idea that my uh, family, my homeland is worshipable is, according to the Bhagavatam, laughable. Prabhupada tells a story in the Upadeshamrita that a man was very careful in raising his children and saving wealth to give to them. And he was a wealthy man when he left and he, he gave everything to his children through his will. And in the next life, however, because of his degraded consciousness, he had taken birth in a low family in the same village nearby as a cobbler. And then he needed some business, so he was going around door to door trying to drum up a little work. And he came to his previous house, which was a mansion, and his previous sons from his last life were there, but they had become really real rascals. And when they saw this cobbler on their porch knocking on their door for some employment, they came out and beat him with shoes. So Prabhupada said that the affection one has for family and society, nation, and so forth, uh, one, one might have pause and look at it, what is actually going on here? Hiranyakashipu, when teaching to his family members who were melancholy because of the death of Hiranyaka, told them that family life is like people who go into a restaurant and they sit down, they happen to share a table, and they all order a drink like a sarsaparilla. And uh, they have their root beer and then they all go off out of the restaurant, get in their cars and they go in different directions. However, that for a few fleeting hours they think, oh, this is, these are my pals, these are my friends. So in similarly, family life, Hiranyakashipu said to his family is like that. People come together and then they think, oh, these are my people. But they all take off in different directions. You never see them again. So devotees have a perspective that this material world is a temporary place. What's more, they understand from the Shastra that we never actually see each other. This is pointed out also by Hiranyakashipu, who said, 
who told a story to his family about a great hero named Suyagya. He was a warrior and a king. And he fought his last battle one day, was defeated by the enemy. To show his valor, as he died, he bit his lip, fell to the ground. He had golden ornaments that would be smeared with blood. His limbs were broken. His hair filled with dust. And the queens, then when the battle had settled after the day, came out and found their husband there dead on the battlefield and they clutched his cloth and his body and they were wailing in sorrow to have lost their husband. And Yamaraj, hearing this wailing, realized that the time for cremating the body was coming and would pass soon. So he appeared there to instruct these women about the truth of life. And he came as a small boy, five-year-old boy. When a little boy speaks philosophy, it's really interesting. Everybody listens. And he asked them what was the problem, and they said, our husband, the king, has gone. And he pointed out that actually he hasn't gone because he's right there. And they said, no, you don't understand. And he said, no, you don't understand. You never saw your husband. What you're saying is your husband is right here, and that's what you've been calling your husband, the king. But he has the same eyes, the same nose, the same hands, and that's what you identified with. But the actual person who was within the body is gone. But you never saw him. Consider that the people think, oh, my mother is gone, my father is gone, my brother is gone, our president is dead, and so forth. Um, they never actually saw the person. There's the eternal spiritual soul that anim animates the body by consciousness, but that that's not something that we can see. We only see the symptoms of life being manifest through the body. So the person definitely isn't the body. And those who go to a crematorium at the time of when the body is burned, they have a temporary recognition of this fact. Because if you ever go to see a body burned, especially in India, because in America they put the body in a big furnace and close the door and then turn up the heat really high until there's nothing but ashes left, which is a little freaky. But when you actually see the body lying on a pile of wood and you see the flames leaping up, there's a sense in the mind, the materialistic mind goes, hey, wait a minute, you can't do that. As a brahmachari, I once I took a few photos at the Swargadwar in Puri where bodies were being burned. You know, it was a half-burned body. And I made the mistake of showing my mother when I came home. <laughs> and uh, she was visibly shaken when she said, please never show me something like that again. And I, I realized it, it, first of all, it wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> and second of all, that it's, it's a horrific uh, shock. To, to see for oneself that I'm not my body because I invest everything in it. I'm like, how do I look now? And this is my whole idea. It's like how to line everything up on the physical level. And then when that gets burned to ashes, I'm thinking like, what, was, what do I actually have? So there's a phenomena, a psychological phenomena called smashana vairagya that takes place when people, even materialistic people, go to the, or especially materialistic people, when they go to the crematorium and they're burning the body of a loved one, 
And then for at least three days, they feel a sense of detachment from the world because they, they see for themselves what's the use. If the body gets burned and not only that, it is just a temporary body. But then they forget and go back to their business as usual because of the power and influence of the three modes of material nature. So Krishna is inculcating us with this understanding of we're not our body. And those who are living a devotional lifestyle can feel happy that they're investing in Krishna consciousness. Because when you invest in the body, you don't get any return on your investment. It all gets burned up. So it's really a waste. But if someone invests in Krishna consciousness, Krishna has a, a, a bookkeeper. And he keeps track. Prabhupada said this, I heard him this morning. He said, Yamaraj has a bookkeeper. And he keeps track of the, all the sinful activities of each living entity. And he said, Krishna also has his own bookkeeper. And he keeps a track of every time you do some devotional service. And he said, even the tiniest effort in devotional service, Krishna records that and it's never lost. Whereas everything I do in the material world is eventually lost along with his body. And there's, there may be some record of it somewhere, but it doesn't last long either. For most people, there's no record where people wish there wasn't a record for many people. So it's an endlessly <clears throat> viable and interesting subject matter, how we're not our body. The mind snaps back immediately to the bodily conception of life, and therefore it's important to not only hear about, but also cultivate the lifestyle which is based on spiritual progress and not simply progress of the body. Now at the end of the purport, Prabhupada mentions that if you have a family and you have a body and you have other kinds of possessions, if those are used, if you use those in the service of Krishna, then there's not a problem. As is mentioned in the 10th canto, 14th chapter of the Bhagavatam, the residents of Vrindavan, they had all kinds of uh, attachments. They have houses and families and pots and pans and wagons and so forth. But because all their attention is uh, based on uh, serving Krishna, none of these things becomes a burden. However, the verse points out, and it's Brahma speaking, that if you have all these things and you don't see the relationship to Krishna, then it becomes foot shackles and simply holds you back from progress in spiritual life. So anything used in Krishna's service, as Krishna says in the Gita, Brahmarpanam Brahmahavir Brahmagnau Brahmanohutam Brahmaiva Tenagantavyam Brahmakarma Samadina Whatever we have that's used in the service of the Supreme Personality of Godhead becomes transformed from matter to spirit. And that includes our bodies. So, for instance, this body is temporary and <clears throat> If one uses it, or I should say comma, but if one uses it in the service of the Supreme Personality of God, then the body itself becomes spiritualized. Rather than denying the body, the body can be used practically in devotional service. And when the body's used in devotional service exclusively, then the uh, 
Narada Pancharatra says, Sarvapati vanir muktam tatpratvena nirmalam rishikena rishikesha sevanam bhakti ruchate. When you use the body for service to Krishna, then the senses become purified. And the nectar devotee, the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu says, Iha yasya harir dasye karmana manasa gira nikila apyavastasu jivan muktasu ujite. A person who lives in service and uses his or her body in service is no longer bound like an ordinary conditioned soul to the body. Rather, that person becomes what is called a jivan mukta. He's liberated even iha in this body, in this life, as he's moving about. He's not bound to the body. Therefore, uh, Krishna recommends in the Gita, Raga dvesha vimukta istu vishayan indriyaisharan atlavashera vadeyatma prasada marigachati. He said that regulate the senses in the process of bhakti. And if you do that, then you'll become free by getting the mercy of the Lord, even as you live and work in this lifetime. However, what do we do? Let's just say that you live in a family and you're uh, a devotee. You may be even, you're liberated. However, the rest of the family members around you uh, are not, and they consider that um, you're just, I mean, they like you and everything, but they think that you're a little bit uh, silly because you're engaged in, you know, worshiping a plant, circumambulating a plant, and spending at least two good hours where you could be getting in on the stock market, shaking a bag around on your hand, rattle, 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 uh, and so forth. And then what should one do? Well, Bhagavatam recommends if you're in a, a situation where people are uh, a spouse or other family members don't quite understand, then you should show an example. And not only that, you shouldn't bewilder their minds by giving them impractical instructions they can't understand. Rather, you should set an example of how to utilize whatever you have in service so that they get the idea that actually this is a better way of living. What's more, a person who's enlightened internally shouldn't, um, when he, he or she has a duty to family members, uh, artificially show renunciation to the family members, unless they actually take sannyas, in which case they should. But, but they should, especially for grahastas, grahastas should show uh, affection, because family members have to have that. Even if one is renounced internally, one should maintain that and uh, protect that realization, but one shouldn't artificially try to impose that upon those who wouldn't understand it or who would be uh, harmed by starving them of, of normal affection that a father or mother or someone else would give. We've seen that before. When somebody gets the idea of renunciation, I'm not my body, and therefore interacts with family members or the world as if they were the enemy. And that causes um, damage. Not only that, it's usually based on an immature understanding and not an actual realized understanding of I'm not my body. I hope those have been provocative enough statements 
near the end of my diatribe to invoke some penetrating questions. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Um, I, I want to ask, I guess, kind of just for, you pretty much spoke to it, but just kind of, I'd like to... You mean I intuited what you were going to ask and I said it? Essentially. And, uh, but I, just, I want to kind of reflect just to assure that my understanding is correct. Um, but you were mentioning about Devahuti, how she's saying, you know, I still really think I'm my body. And Kapila Deva is saying we have to be here for a long time and in great quantity. Um, so my, my understanding is, because I, I, I'm noticing in myself still a lot of attachment to bodily image or bodily identification. Um, is the solution then just, is it more of what I've understood is to add Krishna rather than worry about trying to just cut myself off from well, how would you cut yourself off? Go live under a bridge? <laughs> I guess, um, yeah, and, and, and you, like, like I said, you spoke to it, but like denying myself, like, you know, like... Um, well, Prabhupada writes in the eighth canto of the Bhagavatam that each person has a particular um, <clears throat> natural state of life where they have sensual strength from which they can fight maya. And he said, therefore, one should find that lifestyle that gives them strength so that they can go on with the practice of Krishna consciousness. So the test is, if you're getting strength from the lifestyle that you have now so that you can practice devotional service, and you'll notice it if you feel enlivened. If, you're, if you jump up every day and you feel like, Yahoo, I get to live another day, and I can't wait to be at Mangalartik, and I'm excited to be with my friends for prasadam, and I, I want to go out all day long today, and I've got new goals in my sadhana, and so forth. I mean, you're feeling strength. And, but you can arrange your life in such a way, according to your psychophysiological nature in every era or a particular um, a section of your life, chapter of your life, to, um, to adjust to that so that you, f you feel comfortable enough so you have the strength to go, to go on prosecuting Christian consciousness. If you do anything artificially, you won't get the result that you were hoping for. It doesn't work well. Better to be honest and, and be in a, a situation that gives you strength and go on practicing Christian consciousness to the best of your ability. And when you do that, then you'll naturally make advancement. Bhaktivinoda, of course, in the Gita, not Gita, in the Bhagavatam, 11th canto, Lord Krishna says, Sve sve adhikariya nishta saguna parikirtita vipariya tadosha syad ubayor esha nishchaya. It's a fixed principle that if you act according to what you're capable of doing, then it's a good quality. In other words, do the best you can with who you are and what you have right now. If you know that you're doing the best you can with, with your circumstances now, then that's good. And then he says the opposite is true. Uh, that uh, viparyaya means the opposite. Viparya to dosha, dosha means a fault, syad, it arises, a fault arises. If you try to do, jam yourself into a situation where you're not comfortable and you try to do it anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't look good for one thing. 
And the other thing is you won't make advancement. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur, commenting on that verse, says that it's like climbing a ladder. And when you put your foot on the rung of a ladder and you make sure that it's, it's fixed there, then you can move to the next rung. If you try to run up the ladder, you may fall off. Of course, then he says, if you go too slowly up the ladder and you don't move to the next step when you could by claiming that you're permanently unqualified, which is illegal, then, he said, your advancement will be distant. So it requires a little dexterity and thoughtfulness and honesty. You can ask Samyapras. He'll provide any verse numbers that you wish. Tushtaprabhu. Uh, Yeah, it's a, one of these little moleskin. Chitragupta keeps one of these little things. You got to hold that closer because you're soft-spoken. Yeah, and again, juxtaposed with material life, thank you, is, is that Prabhupada, there was this woman, Mrs. Sharma. She was an older Indian woman, and she had worked hard her whole life serving her family. Um, most of the kids, were all grow, the kids were all grown up. And she got attracted to Krishna consciousness and wanted to be a full-time devotee. So she came and told Prabhupada, and then she went back and asked her family, and they said, mm-mm. And Prabhupada was saying uh, that just see, she's served her whole life, given everything, and now when she wants to take the time to serve and concentrate, they say, no, serve me more. You didn't do enough. You can't go. So he points out that that's, there, there's a kind of ingratitude that comes on the material platform oftentimes, that uh, material nature says, no matter how much you serve, it's not enough. And there's also the phenomena of working very hard for a company for several years, maybe even five or ten, and then showing up one day with a security guard saying, clear your desk out, I'll escort you out the door. You'll get a severance package, of course, that'll last you a few months. And then you won't be able to get another job because now you're too old. And I see this all the time. There's no, there's no sense of humanity or gratitude or anything like that. It's just about the bottom line. And material nature is cruel like that. She doesn't care. She doesn't want to hear it. Uh, gets out the world's smallest violin when you start complaining. <laughs> and however, Krishna is sympathetic to everything. In fact, Prabhupada writes in a purport that you can go to Krishna and pray, and you should, 
and tell them how you're being tossed by the material waves in the ocean of material existence and tell them, reveal your heart to them, say, I'm being tossed like this and I'm really suffering, Krishna. He can not only understand you, but he can also help you. And so, compared to the material world, which is really cruel and unforgiving, the, the, material, the spiritual world and Krishna consciousness is so like approaching Srimati Radharani, who's extending herself to everyone. And actually preaching is, uh, is an exalted activity. It's not that we preach and then we can, uh, and then there, this is for beginners, and then, then there's an internal life. But there, the two things go on at the same time. And uh, Prabhupada equated, uh, following in the footsteps of Rupa and Sanatan Goswami, uh, in their external preaching activities as the ideal way in which one could advance in Krishna consciousness. Simultaneously, there's, there's an awakening within one's heart of uh, <coughs> service to Krishna as well that goes on 24 hours a day. But the, <coughs> Prabhupada never gave a conception that uh, beginners preach Krishna consciousness and then uh, they'll give that lower thing up and become absorbed only internally later on. And Prabhupada showed by example that. Uh, any other points? Yes, Prabhu, you had your hand up for half an hour. A moment ago, you were referencing St. Bhaktivinoda and describing the concept that um, the progressive path of devotional service is like a ladder. It takes us from where we're at and elevates us. I've also uh, heard something from Bhaktivinoda, a recommendation of increasing one's um, performance of java by in term, in measurements of grudges or four rounds at a time until one's chanting all day long. And so I'm wondering how, how important is this instruction for us and um, yeah, how do we uh, take that in you know, um, perspective with our, our devotional process? In the Sri Bhakti Siddhanta Vaibhav, the author explains uh, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakura's application of the uh, continual chanting process. Practically 64 rounds would keep a person fairly busy every day. It takes a while to do 64 rounds if you do them carefully. And he insisted that his disciples chant 64 rounds every day. And there was a question because obviously there weren't all the disciples weren't chanting 64 rounds every day because they're out preaching. And Srila Bhaktisiddhanta indicated that if you're out preaching all day long, then 16 rounds was sufficient because the preaching is also chanting. And if you weren't chanting, excuse me, if you weren't preaching all day, then he considered that you were fallen if you weren't chanting 16 rounds. In other words, if you just stayed back from your preaching engagement and you didn't chant 64 rounds, then that, that was a, a fallen condition. So it is important for us to be chanting 24 hours a day. Kirtaniya sadahari, this is the ideal. But first of all, how one reaches that position uh, and under one's circumstances is in, important, 
because it has to be sustainable and consistent. And Srila <clears throat> Prabhupada set an example by traveling the world, uh, preaching continuously, and, and invariably advocating that uh, devotees enrich themselves spiritually by going on preaching because by that method one would attract the attention of Krishna and receive the qualification for being able to, to, to chant. Prabhupada indicated that if you, uh, to several disciples, that if they gave themselves to preaching later on, they would be qualified to sit down in the Dham and uh, simply chant. However, he showed by example that he didn't go to sit down in the Dham until near the very end because he really wanted to be in the, in the arena, uh, in the battlefield of teaching Krishna consciousness to others. Uh-oh, it's 9.02. Don't you have to go to school? Okay, short one. That's true. Yes. There's, the pictures are there of Prabhupada when he was immobilized and lying on his back and Jai Dwaita Maharaj is holding the dictaphone right in front of his mouth so that he could speak Bhagavatam and they're holding the Bhagavatam right over his face so he can look at it. And still he gives the commentaries. You can read those commentaries. It's the 13th chapter of the 10th canto. And not only are they lucid, but as usual, they're uh, they're remarkably um, profound. So you're not your body. Always uh, transfer your attention and your activities to eternal activities to serve, serving Krishna, hearing about Krishna. Any other main point? Don't be attached to family. Yeah. Uh, Naturally, we're attached to family, but if it's in relationship to Krishna, then the Bhagavatam says then it's not detrimental. And if inordinately attached and based on the bodily conception of life, then this is considered to be um, a, a hindrance for advancement in devotional service. Even Kunti prays that, and her family members are the Pandavas and the Vrishnis. She says, please sever my attachment to my relatives, the Pandavas and the Vrishnis. And Prabhupada points out that means the inordinate idea that these are my kinsmen. Sever that idea. Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai, Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Gopremanande Haribo, Panchakopadurvishta, Kripasanabhe, Vachapatitanam, Pavanibhyo, Vaishnavebhyo, Namunamahananta, Kodi Vaishnavini ki jai.